I, I thought I was quite live, but apparently not. Apparently, I. turn me down. That's Isabel would say. Okay, so last week, remember last week, we were um, picking up on the, the idea that Galatians is a single issue letter. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, books like uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he's addressing loads of different issues that are going on in the church. He comes to Galatians and it's like this, there's this one issue and Paul just spends six chapters banging this one issue, like driving a nail into a piece of wood. Because the, the, the issue at Galatia is so serious that there may be other problems in Galatians. I suspect there probably are other issues that, that you know, under normal circumstances, Paul would want to address. But <clears throat> it's like the church at Galatia is one issue of legalism. It's kind of, you know, like we said last week, it's, it puts a church into cardiac arrest. When a church loses sight of the gospel... When a church stops thinking of itself as a bunch of sinners, just a bunch of broken, fallen, damaged, hurting people who are in so many ways falling short of the vision of life that God called us to, when we, when we forget that that is what we are and that we come trusting in the grace of God, trusting the mercy of God, trusting the compassion of God, trusting the love of God to us in Jesus Christ. When we forget that and we start to think of ourselves as good people who are going to church, when we start to think of ourselves as people who, you know what, God, God should be quite pleased to have us on His side. Do you know what I mean? Like, the church was a disaster before we came along, but it's okay because we're here now. You know, when we start thinking of ourselves as good people who just need to be shown what to do, just tell me what to do and I'll do it because I'm this great guy who can do the things that God called me to do. That, that, that is like heart attack territory for a church. That will kill a church stone dead. And, and we sort of were thinking last week of the book of Galatians is like a spiritual defibrillator. I had to practice saying that several times today. A spiritual defibrillator. Now I know I can say it. I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. The book of Galatians is like a spiritual defibrillator. All right? Um, it, always, it always frightens me that I might have a heart attack next to one of these things. You know what I mean? They started putting defibrillators up all over the place. The idea that somebody who has no idea what they are doing is going to open this box and pump thousands of volts through my body when I'm like dying. It's like, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I want that. I don't know. It just seems rather strange to me that we're putting this in the hands of completely untrained people and asking them to see his lives. Anyway, that aside, all that aside, um, Paul knows what he's doing and the book of Galatians is like a spiritual defibrillator trying to get the heart of this church a beating again. Try to put the gospel back in the center so these people learn how to think um, about God and about their relationship with God, how to, how to think about Christ and the Spirit and discipleship. 
properly through the lens of the gospel. Remember, we were thinking last week, you know, this, it's, like, it's like yeast. A little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. And Paul was, was taking us back into the Old Testament before the, the feast of Passover. And for a, for a week, you weren't allowed to eat yeast. There was to be no yeast found anywhere in the entire nation. Because one grain of this stuff is toxic to the life of the church. One grain of legalism. Just one hint of it, one shadow of it cast across our soul is absolutely toxic. It will kill us. And so the, 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 the really aggressive intentionality with which Paul goes about asking this church, calling this church at Galatia to, to, to root around in their souls, to, to see where legalism is shaping their, their way that they think about their life as Christians, the way legalism is shaping their experience of life, and to repent of it, and to get rid of it, to drive it out, um, you know, because only then, only then, can we actually uh, benefit from the, 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 the riches of Christ and His work for us. Remember, it's not that legalism is, is kind of Christianity, but it's gone wrong a bit. Paul said, actually, legalism, even a Christianized form of legalism, is a fundamentally different kind of religion that puts us in touch with very fundamentally different spiritual realities. All right? <laughs> and Paul said, look, you've you got to get rid of it. Right? One, one of these religions puts you under the control of sin. It puts you under God's curse. It puts you in slavery under demons. The other one puts you in the place of God's blessing. Brings you into freedom. Acceptance with God. Right? One of them brings you into, into relationship with God and into experiencing the reality of God's life. And it gives you a future and a hope as you are adopted into the family of God and become heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Right? They're different religions. And they cannot coexist in, in an individual or in a church. Insofar as you are a legalist, you are not a Christian. That's the, the extremity of what Paul is telling us in, in the book of Galatians. Um, uh, Paul's like, look, it's not a legalism is not a religion that comes from God. Or from tonight's reading, I warn you, as I did before, right? those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the, the tragedy of legalism is, here I am, working so hard to, to be a good person. Working so hard to prove to myself and to the church and to God that I'm this, this, this paragon of virtue, that I'm a moral and respectable and, and, and good, and, and actually I am utterly powerless, utterly powerless to withstand the reality of sin that is in my life and experience. Because I'm standing, here I am, I'm doing it with my own ability, my own capacity, my own resources, my own potential, and that is simply not enough to withstand the force of sin, my sin, 
finding expression uh, throughout my life. And, 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 the, and the tragedy is that you spend your whole life desperately trying to be good enough for God, and at the end of it, you stand before God, and He says, away from me, I never knew you. And the frightening thing about this whole situation for me is that the church at Galatia, in a sense, they had everything going for them. This is a church that was established and planted by an apostle, by the apostle Paul himself. This is a church that was taught the gospel by Paul, that is pastored by the apostle Paul. That you know, he put in place teachers and elders who he trained. I mean, this is a church that has seen the reality of the Holy Spirit in the midst of their life as a church. This is a church. Remember back in Galatians 3, that has seen the Spirit of God doing miracles in their midst. A church that had so much going for it was still able to jump tracks into a whole different religion. How did that happen? How did they get to a place where having learned so much and experienced so much of God through His grace in Christ by the Gospel, how did they get to the point, like, oh, like what was going on that they turned their back on that and went back again into slavery? Went back again into this whole different spiritual experience? And, and it frightened me because like I'm not don't 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 think I'm being humble here. It's, I'm just getting the blind and the obvious. But I'm not as good a pastor as Paul. I'm not as good a teacher as the apostle Paul. And it frightens me that if a church led by and pastored by somebody of the caliber of Paul is able to make this mistake, it should terrify the possible. Like, we would be foolish to think that we were somehow beyond making the same mistake that has been made in the church at Galatians. And, and, and I think the reason is that we are, like I've said this a number of times, we are so susceptible to legalism. Legalism is our natural kind of religious orientation. And there's a number of reasons for that. And one is pride. You know, the thing with, with um, legalism is that it, it appeals to our pride. It resonates and connects with our confidence that we are brilliant. You know, I can do this. I can be good enough. I can be my own Savior. I don't need help. I don't need God to come into the mess in order to redeem me and restore me to Himself. I'm able to climb out of that mess all by myself. I can do it. I can do it. And that is so insidious and it's so deep in us. We hate being helpless. We hate having to be We love helping other people. I've met so many people in church life who are like, well, you know, I'm the person who helps others. 
I don't need to be helped. I'm like, oh man, this is so bad. We hate it. And yet that's the heart of Christianity. That we need it. We need to be helped. So pride is a huge issue. Um, I'll tell you another thing that feeds into this. And it's that we're not very clever. Right? Spiritually speaking, we're really thick. We're, we're, we, are, we are stupid. Right? We don't see things properly and clearly. And we don't value things properly. You know, I think in, in many ways we are so like the church through the generations. You go right back to the church in the days of Moses. And remember this that extraordinary moment, isn't there, when you know God has God has redeemed them from slavery. He's called them out of Egypt. He's delivered them. He's brought them into his own presence. Christ is dwelling in the midst of the camp in the tabernacle. You know, um, they've got Moses leading them, and it's just, you know, they're free and they're they're journeying to the promised land to be the people God has called them to be, to live in the land God has called them to live in to live in the presence of God. And, and in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, God's provided miraculously for them. Like every day, there's manna and quail and there's like water pouring out of rocks. And it's just like, man, it's like a miracle fest. And, 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 and there's a bunch of people who go, you know what, Moses, we're going to appoint our own leaders to lead us back into Egypt. Because we want to go back to slavery. Do you remember the reason they wanted to go back to slavery? Because in Egypt, we had leeks and garlic. (laughs) What? What? You are going to walk away from freedom and life and future with God. You want to walk away from the presence of Jesus. You want to walk away from God literally, miraculously providing you because you want to go back into slavery for leeks and garlic. Isn't that exactly what's happening at Galatia? these miracles, the Spirit working in your midst. You've no, you know, life, future, hope, freedom, new creation. It's all lying before you. You are, you are in living your life in the presence of Christ. And you're going to throw it all away. You fools. Fools, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Are you so foolish? What are you doing? And I'll tell you now, we are not any smarter than the Christians in the days of Moses. Our pride makes us susceptible to legalism. Our spiritual stupidity makes us susceptible to legalism. (laughs) And our weariness (laughs) is 
our weariness makes us susceptible to legalism. <laughs> you know, I, I think I, legalism is hard work. But the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? And I think we just get so tired of living the Christian life. The flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. The spirit what's contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever you want to do. It's this conflict. Being a Christian, a genuine, authentic, spirit-filled Christian, it's just hard. It is tiring. It is exhausting. You know, my, my life is a theater of war. There are these two worlds that have collided in my experience. And every minute of every day, is a battle. I guess one of the reasons Jesus says, look, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You know, Paul, I'm stealing a little bit from next week, Paul actually says, look, don't become weary in doing good. Right? And the reason Paul says that is because this is a real temptation. Because it is exhausting. It is exhausting fighting alongside the Spirit to be the man, the woman, the child of God that you are called to be. Serving, loving, being patient, kind, generous, sacrificial. It is wearying. And there's such a temptation in it. You know, like, I don't have enough to do in a day without fighting a spiritual battle every moment. And it's scary. You know, the, the deeper you get into this, the more frightening it becomes. And the more painful it can come, become to resist and to fight and to refuse to gratify the desires of our sinful nature. And so when somebody comes along and says, guys, don't you realize you don't need to live like that? Look, just listen to me. Listen to what I tell you, and you can live the Victorian Christian... Victorian? The Victorian? The victorious... It's been such a long day. The victorious Christian life. You can live the victorious Christian life. It will lift you above all this struggle and all this conflict and all this pain and all this weariness and you will float on a cloud of undisturbed holiness and purity and righteousness. And when somebody offers us that, it's so appealing. Just... Come with us and, and follow the law like we do. And you'll find that you're able to live a life of holiness without all the aggro and conflict. 
Is that how the Galatian church ended up embracing legalism? Because it was tired of the fight? Because it's stupid and proud? Of course, the, the irony of it all is that it cuts you off from the very thing you want more than anything else. It stops, it alienates you from Christ. You see, every Christian, they want to love Christ, they want to be loved by Christ. And they want to live with a, at least a measure of integrity and authenticity as a disciple of Jesus. And legalism cuts you off from both of those things. And it leaves us with our own resolve and our own willpower and our own determination and our own strength of character because we're cut off now from Christ. We're alienated from Christ. He's become of no value to us. And we're left on our own. And I call this the theology of the bin lid. Alright? So you take the law of God as if it's a lid. And it's like, you know, we've got all this stuff going on in us. Alright? The, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the idolatry, the witchcraft, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, the selfish ambitions. The dissension. All that's, it's all going on in, I mean, not all of it to, to the same extent. We all have our, you know, we all have our favorite sinful behavior and stuff, but this stuff is seething inside our character all the time. And if you don't believe me, listen to the next conversation you have with yourself in the shower. Yeah? Certainly for me, I mean, there's an image that's going to haunt you for the rest of the evening right there. But the things that you imagine yourself saying to people, I mean, just listen to your own heart. Listen to the the, the narratives, the tapes that play in your head. Listen to the things that you would like to do and that you would like to say to people. Be honest with yourself. And hear the sin that, that seethes within your own, your own heart and mind. And you see, what, what we do is, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a lid, and we, we kind of jam this lid down on this. We've got to keep it, we've got to keep it buried. We've got to keep it hidden. We can't let anybody else see this. And so we, it's right, we, and, and sheer force of will and determination and sometimes just deceit and hypocrisy. But we manage to keep it buried. But the thing is, nothing's ever changing. And that stuff, it's all still in there. And it's bubbling away. And the pressure is building and building and building and building until one of two things happens. Either my resolve weakens. Or the force, the pressure, the desires of myself have become so intense and so overpowering that I simply cannot restrain them any longer. And they simply boil over and erupt um, into full view of of myself and probably the people around me. And the whole thing just goes sky high. 
Right? So, you know, pick your sin. Maybe it's the anger or the sexual immorality or whatever it is. You know, it's, and it feels like for weeks and weeks and weeks you're doing just fine. And then suddenly, bang, it's right back there. You know, suddenly you lose your temper again. The rage just boils over. Or the loss boils over. And, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. But eventually, you know, you know it blows out. But then, then it kind of, you know, the, the flood run, runs out of energy. You know, it's, it's like I have this big blowout and then it's all right because then I can grab the bin lid and I can put it back on. I can, I can, I can keep it all hidden again till, till, till the next time. And I convince myself, next time it's going to be different. This time the lid's really staying on. Except that it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm trying to do this on my own, I go round and round this cycle. And depending where you get me on the cycle, there's going to be one of two things going on in me. Either pride. Pride and smug self-righteousness. Because you've caught me at a time when I'm keeping the lid on. I'm keeping the lid on. I'm keeping everything under control. Everything's buried. Everything's hidden. Look at me. I'm, I'm doing well. Oh, oh yeah. Ah, I know I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. Keeping the lid on. I'm a good person. And boy, am I judgmental. Because I'm looking around and seeing all the people who aren't keeping the lid on. And aren't I doing so much better than them? Or, if you catch me just after the lid's blown off, I'm a wreck. I'm an absolute wreck. Because I've just had to confront the reality of my sin in a way that I haven't had to do for a long time. See, we believe our own publicity, don't we? You tell yourself you're a good person often enough and you're going, to, you're going to start believing it. But when the lid blows off and you are brought face to face with the reality of what you are, now, there's a real problem here, isn't there? Because my confidence and God's love for me is depending on what? My performance. My confidence in God's acceptance of me is based on how good a person I think I am. So, of course, once the lid blows off, I'm confronted with the reality of my sin. What's the first casualty of that? Any confidence in God's love and God's acceptance. Do you feel how utterly devastating this is? At the one point where I need more than anything, the rock-solid assurance, the confidence, the security in God's love for me, 
The one time I need to know I can go to my God for forgiveness and for cleansing and for mercy and for help. And that is the one moment when any confidence I have in God's love utterly evaporates. Caught in this cycle. And I just go round and round and round. Nothing changes. And we can tell whether we're legalists or not by what happens when we've just fallen into sin. If in that moment there is fear that God doesn't love you, then there's legalism. Now Paul is such a great pastor. And what he's calling the church to in chapter 5 is, he's, just, he's, he's like standing there, you can, I imagine the tears running down his cheeks. And he's just thinking, please, please, can't you see that, that it's systemically wrong? This whole way of being and, and, and of doing religion, it's just, it's killing you. It's destroying you. Why, why don't you just like repent, walk away from it and come back to the grace of God that you received through the gospel because of Jesus? Why don't you just put that, put it all down and come back? Of course, the problem is that legalists are going to really struggle to do that. You see, it's like a prisoner who has spent so long in prison that they've become institutionalized. And they're afraid of freedom. Because they don't know how freedom works. They don't know how to live in freedom. And so Paul's like, Guys, come on. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You don't need to be enslaved. It is, you know, it's about grace, not performance. You never need to call into question whether God loves you or not. That has been settled beyond all possible disputes in the way that He has given His Son for you. I can't go there because... Because... Because I've got this, this thing with a, with a lid, <laughs> this cycle, and it's going to go round and round and round and round. And, and it's not great, but at least it kind of works, doesn't it? At least it works some of the time. Sometimes I manage to keep the lid on. Sometimes, sometimes it changes what I am. And Paul says, guys, no, it really doesn't. It doesn't. See, the law... This law that you are so desperate to keep, that law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's going to be really harsh with this church. He's going to say, listen guys, the one thing you are not doing is loving one another. You see, keeping the lid on, that's not what holiness is about. That's not the life that you've been called to. 
You'd be called to something far more than just keeping the lid on from time to time. And you think you're keeping the law, but you're not keeping it at all. Alright? Is, is this a loving church? No! This is a church where people are biting and devouring each other and destroying one another. Which, of course, you have to do if you're a legalist. Because how can I convince myself that I'm a good person? By looking at you and seeing that you're worse than me. I, I, I will tear you down if by doing so I can set myself up as a better Christian than you. Right? This is what Paul's talking about. He's like, look, don't become conceited. <laughs> don't become conceited. Which is what you do when you start to think you're better than everybody else. Uh, like, well, Lord, you know, thank you that I'm not like this bunch of losers. I'm really committed. I'm a proper Christian. If only everybody was like me. You know, that's, that's what you do. You're provoking each other. Because I want to get you to fail. I want to get you to stumble. I want to get you to sin because then I can put myself up over and against you. And on the off chance that I'm going to come across somebody who's better than me, I'm not going to celebrate that. I'm going to be jealous sick. I'm going to envy everything about you. Because in my warped little world, if you're better than me, it means God loves you more than me. Seriously, how can you think this is what Christianity is all about? How can you settle for this as your experience of church? This isn't what it's supposed to be like. You're part of the new creation. You're supposed to have the Spirit of the living God dwelling in your midst, enabling you to be the man and the woman of God that He's called you to be. You're people who trust the grace of God, the grace that teaches you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. You're not supposed to be doing this on your own. The law is supposed to be written on your heart. It's supposed to have been injected into the very deepest level of your being. It's supposed to be shaping everything from the bottom up, changing all that you are. This isn't a point of, you know, don't change but keep the lid on. It's like you don't need a lid because you're a different person. You become a different kind of human being because the Spirit of God is dwelling within you, shaping you in a miraculous and superhuman way to the image of Jesus. Jesus who kept the law of God without flinching once. Oops. You know that, that really famous thing, um, the fruit of the Spirit? We, we were doing it in Messy Church at St. John's last week, and there's that really irritating song. The fruit of the Spirit's not a banana. It's, a, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right. Paul isn't sitting, like, going, oh, you know, mm, 
love, that, that's a good thing, and, and uh, joy is good, and we'll have some of that, and, and peace, that's, that's a virtue. These are not random ideas that Paul's snapping out of the air. Right? Paul is, when he says these things that, that are supposed to characterize us, it's the portrait of Christ. Christ was supremely the man of the Spirit. That's what Messiah means. That's what Christ means. He is the one who is anointed by the Spirit of God. And, and that same Spirit is at work in us, changing us, transforming us to become like Him. So we don't have to pretend. We don't have to put a lid on stuff to restrain it and hide it and bury it. Because that is being changed and we are becoming different people. The hard bit's at the start. Like, really? Oh, that's the hard bit, right? Like a hundred horsepower. Now, this is an image we've been playing with all the way through this series. It's an image that I nicked off uh, another preacher, a guy called John Piper. Um, and, it, you know, you, you watch that guy pulling a train along the tracks. There is something kind of impressive about it. Do you know what I mean? You look at it and you think, you're nuts, but it is quite impressive. That's not really how trains are supposed to work, though, is it? I mean, I, I think maybe East Anglia in real ways, sort of. But, you know, and it's, it is this thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, we're not supposed to be the ones who are doing all the work to make the law a reality in our lives. Right? We're not, it's just not the way it, 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 it it's impre- When you see someone who isn't a Christian, but who lives this like insanely moral kind of life, it's quite impressive. But it's really not how it's supposed to work. And they are, they, 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 there's, there's nowhere near, if I can put it this crudely, the performance that there should be. You see, Trains work better, not when you're pulling it along the track, but when you're sitting in the carriage and there is another power at work pulling you in the train along the tracks. And Paul's whole thing in Galatians 5 is, guys, that when it comes to, to, to being like Jesus, when it comes to living the law, Right? You're not supposed to be pulling the train on the track. You're supposed to be being carried by the Holy Spirit who you have received. I say, live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. God comes and empowers us to keep His law. Changes us so that we want to obey it. We want to keep it. And gives us the ability to keep it. It, We want to love Christ. We want to love our neighbor. We want to forgive. We want to serve. We want to build other people up. You know, there's this new nature and there's these new desires that are in us. We want to be like Christ. And it's not because we're scared 
You know, it's not out of fear. Like, oh my goodness, I better do this because, you know, what if I don't? The law, Paul says, the law has no power to condemn you if you are a Christian. We don't, we don't obey the law out of fear or out of some sense of moral obligation. We live the way we live because of love. Because we know what it is to be loved by God. One of the other apostles, John, puts it like, look, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Remember that. Fear has to do with punishment. Hang on, what's going on with that? Alright, so yeah, you know, Paul's realistic. He knows that we don't always do what we want. Alright, there is still this flesh, this sinful nature, and there are days when it wins. And we end up not doing what we want. Because what we want is to be like Jesus, right? But there are days when we don't. There are days when we sin. So are we scared? When I sin, when I'm confronted with the reality of what I'm like at times, am I frightened that God doesn't love me? Am I frightened that God doesn't accept me? Am I worried that God's grace might not stretch that far? Absolutely not. You see, I'm led by the Spirit. I'm not under the law. And if I am not under the law, then the law cannot condemn me. You understand? You've got to hear that. Right? The law, the, remember the disciplinarian with the stick? Right? It can't hit you. You're not under law. The law cannot condemn you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means that you can be absolutely confident of God's love for you in Christ precisely at the moment when your sin is finding its fullest and most devastating expression. Even then, especially then, because you really need it, you can stand as a child of God and go, I'm not condemned. I am loved in Christ. And I am free. You see, we know that I might, we might stumble and fall. But we belong to Christ and that old way of life is dying. The death of God for you in Jesus is also, remember, it's also my own death. The death of my sinful nature. I have been crucified with Christ. It's dying. And you, I was saying this at Bixley a couple hours ago. You know, there's a sense in which we need to be really quite cavalier about our sin. You know, teaching a little kid to walk, 
They're going to stumble. They're going to trip. They're going to fall. So what do you do? You pick them up. And you put them back on their feet. And they walk again. We're learning to walk in the ways of God. We're learning to walk by the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. You're going to trip. Okay. Does it change God's love for you? Does it change His grace? Does it change His mercy? No! So what? Let Him pick you up, put you back on your feet, and start walking again. Keep in step with the Spirit. It's not some mystical experience. You're a Christian. Live as a Christian. Let the Spirit shape your character. You know, we come down to this and Paul's like, guys, seriously, you're worrying about keeping a few rules and regulations and rituals. It's like that is so petty and irrelevant. When we get into this next week, we're going to see, or in a couple of weeks, Paul's whole point is, really? In a way, who cares? Who cares? You're a new creation. You're a new creation. Do you really think it matters whether you keep a few religious ceremonies or not? Do you really think it matters whether you tick all the boxes morally or not? You have the Spirit of God living in you. You have the life of God flowing through you. You have the power of God shaping you and keeping you. And you have the future of God in a new creation. We need to learn to think so much bigger than ticking a few moral boxes and keeping a few religious rules. Christianity is so much more. And Paul is calling us to share in it.